O great high God, whose name is greater than any other name, who stands above the universe, who had a word spoken into being, and who with the thought could speak it out of being. And yet to you, O God, we come. The one who alone is holy, the one who alone is good, the one who alone has the right to decide what is righteous and and correct and what is not. The impartial judge, creator and owner of us all, but Father of us who know you, Jesus. Lord Jesus, because of you we come today to hear from your Father. We come today because we would be as you are, holy, children of God. Lord, I pray for us now as we consider these words that that your rock wrote for us all these many thousands of years ago. Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our ears and our very lives, Father, that we might learn how to live as children of this great God. We come in adoration to the one who has saved us and adopted us and given us a living hope and a future and life. Father, help us to to know what it is to live as your children. Holy Spirit, illumine our hearts with your word, the word which is the good news. And I dare to ask that you would even use the words through this mouth to speak to us today. Amen. Last week we were looking at, uh, at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. This is sounding very loud at the moment. Thank you, Steve. Uh, and it's a fantastic way to open a letter. Because what Peter, he just, he's hardly written g'day. And all of a sudden he, oh wow, I'm talking about God. Woo! And he goes into this doxology of just, isn't God fantastic? Isn't God great? Look at all that God has done for us. Look at the hope that we have in Christ fantastic passage, just full of joy and happiness. In fact, he says that joy is part of the benefits, the, the side benefits, the fringe benefits of knowing Christ. <coughs> and now, as he's looked at that, as he's gazed intently, and we with him last week, at the face of who God is for us, Peter stops and he says, well, if this is who God is, Excuse me, roaring like a lion is not very good for the throat. He says, if if this is how God is, and if we have this hope as adopted children of God, how then are we to live our lives? And over the years, I've heard some fantastic stories about people who've 
who've come to me and said, hey, Nick, I've been working with this person for four years and I've just found out they're a Christian. Isn't it fantastic? And it's wonderful, isn't it? Isn't that great when you find out that a, a work person is a Christian, a workmate? Brilliant stuff. But then I stop and think, well, if, if I was in that workplace, would it take four years for me to be recognized as a Christian? How does my Christian faith, which we in Australia today tend to sort of compartmentalize and it's just mine and it's just personal and I don't want to share it because it's, it's my relationship with Jesus. And you know, that's good, that's right. But, but how does that show itself to the world? How does it express itself in the way I live my life, in the way I interact with people, in the decisions that I make? in the way I vote, <laughs> in the comments I put on Facebook, or Google if you're that way inclined. How does being a Christian affect my life? Well, I guess what we're talking here is in some ways, ethics. The way I make my decisions as a Christian. Because it's the decisions that we make that show the world something of who we are. I could decide to be an octopus. I don't have quite enough limbs, but I could decide to be a flamingo, but my brain refuses to go half asleep. I believe Peter says to us in 1 Peter, you are children of the King. You are adopted under the Lion of Judah. So roar. <laughs> so live your life this way. Peter gives us, in just these few verses, what is it, 12, 15 verses, four little words of... Encouragement. Can I put it that way? It's actually a word of instruction to us. But, but behind these four instructions lie foundational bases upon which to live our lives as Christians. Hopefully you'll see these as we go through. I, I think Peter would have us ask of any decision that we make, is it loving? On the day when Jesus returns and God judges the living and the dead, and he says a little bit later on in this letter, he judges the family of God first, that's you and I. When we make a decision, what's the expression going to be on God's face on that final day? Says Peter, the other thing we need to ask is, is this decision or this action is it sort of the natural outcome of, of a life dedicated to Jesus? Put it another way, this decision 
Does it match up with who God is? And it starts off with the first one, which is when we make a decision, when we say something or do something, how does it look in light of the future? You see, it's so easy when we make a decision. We say, well, I've got to make it now, and I've, got to, I've just got to go with what I can do now. But, but Peter says, no, as Christians, we do not live in the now alone. As Christians, we live as people with a hope for tomorrow. Better than that, a hope for eternity. This is one of the great things he, he said in the first half of chapter 1 in Peter. He says, we have this great hope from God. And now in verse 13 he says, because of this great hope, because of all the benefits of salvation, because of the fact that we are now children of God, verse 13, so therefore because of this, think clearly and exercise self-control and look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. You see what Peter's saying there? He says, on the basis of all that God is and all that God has done for you, look towards the future. Hope in the waiting for the grace that will be revealed to us. Now that's confusing, isn't it? <laughs> the grace that will be revealed to us with Jesus. What? When Paul said we are saved by grace. We're saved, aren't we? We've got God's grace already, don't we? What, what's this grace that will be revealed to us on the day of Jesus' return? Because it's pretty important to Peter. It's, it's the foundation on which we should be weighing up all that we, we say and do as children of God. Well, yes, it is by grace that we have been saved, and it is by grace that we have received our salvation and have received the protection of God, as we saw in verses uh, 7 of 1 Peter chapter 1, but but it's not like we receive grace and there's a full stop right at that point in history. We have the hope of Jesus Christ. That on the day when, when he returns and we stand before him and he judges us, he will say, even so, by my graciousness, you are mine. You see, grace is very much something of the end of time. It's the consummation of our life of faith and trust in Jesus. Grace isn't just forgiveness now, but it is a promise of future forever. And Paul's, uh, Paul, Peter's got these, isn't it horrible how we just assume Paul wrote everything? Peter's got, got two little images to encourage us in our 
living out of the hope of the salvation that we have received and that we will receive. He says to us, we need to prepare our minds for action. Now, some of you might have the King James Version or the Revised Version there, which has got a wonderful graphic, gird up the loins of your mind, which sounds weird. (laughs) But the image is, I mean, you you know the blokes back then wore dresses and you wanted to run yet. You you won't get up so that you could run without tripping yourself up. that's That's the thing here Peter's saying to us. Clear your mind. Let's, let's go. Let's throw off the things which entangle and let's, let's just go. Uh, somebody else says it's like rolling up the sleeves of your mind. Let, we're getting down to it. We're, we're, we're getting busy searching for God's truth. With self-control, or some translations put it, with a sober mind. Remember Jesus' parable of the, the ten people with the lamps waiting for the bridegroom to return? Five of them were sober-minded. Five of them were foolish. And it was late. And when the cry came, he's coming. Five who were foolish, well, there oil was just about out and they had to go to the shops to try and find some. All the shops were probably closed and and it was a big struggle for them. Meanwhile, the the other five who were sober-minded and prepared, they went in and they enjoyed the bridegroom and his feast. You see, we can hope for Jesus' return in two ways. Either we can be sober-minded and, you know, ready for action with our brains sort of sleeves rolled up. Or else we can hope with a sort of, ah, it'll happen one day and I'm sure I'll be ready. Can't really be bothered. Do you notice, can you imagine how different a life would look depending on which type of hope and future-mindedness you have? I mean, on the one hand, everything would be about Jesus is coming. Woohoo! Fantastic! Everything in your life would be, well, if I'm going to make a decision, I have to make it because Jesus might be here now! 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 The other one is, well, it'll be a while by the time he comes, he'll have forgotten all about this decision that I've made. As if. Says Peter, when we live our lives as Christians, we are to live our lives in hopefulness for the future coming. When Jesus is revealed, when we are revealed as God's children, when the grace that is ours in Christ becomes the grace that is ours for all to see. And Peter goes on in verses 14 to 16. He says to us, you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. 
didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in all that you do, just as God has chose, who chose you is holy, for as it is written, be holy, for I am holy. C.H. Spurgeon said, uh, holiness is the architectural platform upon which God builds his living temple. And it's not a topic we talk about easily, is it? Being holy. Because we know ourselves too well. Peter tells us in verse 14, he says, we are children of God. The apple shouldn't fall far from the tree. God is altogether holy, and so he expects and calls us to be altogether holy. I'm so glad he did that bit about grace first, (laughs) and then goes to holiness. God is so gracious to us, but he wants us to be holy. Graciousness doesn't mean we don't have to be holy. Graciousness means God wants us to be holy, calls us to be holy. There's two sides for that. On the one side, it's living a life of active obedience to Jesus. Uh, John 14, Jesus says, whoever... Let me read it for you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. He says somewhere else, if you want to follow after me, you need to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow after me. Be obedient to me. Have you ever wondered why Peter, not just Peter, but just about all of the Bible writers have passages like 14, verses 14 to 16, where he just highlights how the world has an attraction for us, a pull on us to conform to the kind of life that we had before we knew Jesus, or to conform to the kind of life which the world says is good. Now, forget about for, forever, says the world. Why does Peter say, don't conform to those things any longer? Simply because he knows how very real the temptation is. This is the same man who, who was tempted to stop his practice of eating together with Gentiles. To conform to his old way of life, of separation and segregation and and hierarchy of people God loves. And Peter writes this and he says, don't go there. Knowing full well that there are people in that church and in this church who go there. And Peter says, stop. Stopping by itself is not enough. Speak to all the psychologists. You can't 
stop one practice, you need to replace it with another one, which is exactly what Peter says. He says, don't conform any longer to the way you used to live. It's, it's empty, it's rubbish, it's useless. Instead, practice obedience. Follow after Christ. Seek to be holy as He is holy. See, holiness doesn't have a full stop after forgiveness and cleansing of sin. That's just the, the capital letter at the start of the sentence. And the rest of the sentence is a life opposing sin. The decisions that we make, we need to ask ourselves, how does this stack up in the light of Jesus' is coming? When I look at who God is, is this something He would decide to do? Peter's got a third one. Almost done here. Verses 17 to 21, he says to us, not only are we to live in hope of the future, not only are we to live holy lives, but we are also to live in fear. (laughs) Wow. Live in fear of God. I like what he does here, though. He says, remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He is the impartial judge, says the NIV. You notice what Peter's done there? He says, remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He is the impartial judge. He, he just has to throw that word Father in there. We need to remember when we deal with God, we are dealing with the Father, the one who loves us, the one who is concerned for us, the one who cares for us, the one to whom we are to take all of our burdens because He cares for us. This is the one who raised Jesus, who chose Him from before the beginning of the world to redeem us. This is the one who said, in Christ I will be gracious to you. This is the one who said, one day when Jesus returns, the whole world will see that you are my children and my grace will be made manifest to you. This is the Father, the one to whom we say, Abba, Dad. What a wonderful relief. And yet as the writer to the Hebrews says, in a very similar way, he goes on about how God is gracious and good and kind and compassionate towards us. And he finishes and says, but our God is a consuming fire. And one day, he will judge the living and the dead. And all the secret things that nobody knows about, that perhaps even you have forgotten about, or I have forgotten about, he knows. And he's impartial. He doesn't have favorites. He doesn't go, well, I I really like Johnny over there, so even though he's, he's killed three people, that's okay. God doesn't have favorites. Johnny, you're guilty. You killed three people. Luke, you're guilty. You told a lie. (laughs) Isn't it fantastic, though, that 
after that he comes and says, it's okay. Grace, right at the top. Live in the hope of that. That we will all stand before the judgment throne of God. Peter says that the family of God will be judged first. This is not judged for salvation because we are saved already. But our lives will be put up for God. Wow. You remember back to when you were a kid and you did something that your parents, if they found out about, you would just die. I'm betting that your parents were nice enough people (laughs) and they loved you. But because they're your parents, you don't want to let them down. Peter says, live out of fear of God. Reverence and awe. Because he has done so much for us. Because he has saved us at such great cost. How could we live any other way? Is where Peter goes in verses 17 to 21. And finally, for Peter, the fourth pillar on which to make our decisions, the first being the hope of the grace that will be revealed to us when Jesus Christ returns, the second being uh, living in holiness, the third being living in fear of God, in respect and awe of God. Finally, says Peter, live in love. You were cleaned cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth and so you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters see it comes again back to holiness there being like God you notice that to be holy means to love and Peter gives us a hint there he says The way we are holy again is by being obedient children of God, living in reverent fear of God. And if we are like that, then we will love one another. This is why John and Augustine after him and and all the church fathers since have, have just slammed home the truth. God is love. Why? Because God is holy. Why does God want to be gracious towards us? Because God is holy. The same holiness that says, I must judge, but that same holiness says, I am the one who loves. Holiness and love, two sides of the same coin. Holiness on one side, love on the other side. Love, holiness, love, holiness. If the two aren't matched up, then there is a... Either you don't know what love is, or else you don't know what holiness is. And Peter says, 
as children of God, as people who, who are seeking in all that we say and we do with God's help, with the help of the Holy Spirit within us to live as holy lives, to be holy as God is holy. The side effect of that, says Peter, the end result of that, the ambition of that is to love one another deeply. Sincerely, says the New Living Translation. In other words, it can't just be a, oh yeah, yeah, I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a deep love. It's a sincere love. It's a, I love them. I will do whatever it takes so that I can bless them. I, I will put up with them. We saw in Ephesians chapter 4. Because God puts up with me. Because God is holy and because He loves me. Love each other deeply with all your heart. And as we make our decisions and as we look into our lives and our minds, if there is somebody with whom we, regardless of their condition towards us, that we don't love deeply, at cost. There's no easy way to say this. That, that is sin within us. For God so loved the world, those who stood against him, that he gave his only son. That is deep love. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, the righteous for the unrighteous. That is deep love. Why? Because that is holiness. I can't do this. I can't love that person. Says Peter, of course you can't yourself. Love one another for, because, with the reason of your being born again. Not to a life which is here today and gone tomorrow like the grass with flowers withering and fading, but a life that is from God, that is eternal, that is forever. A life that is characterized by His presence, by His love, by His holiness. How do we make decisions in this world? By looking to the future. By trying to be as God is with His help in us. Because without His help we fail every time, guaranteed. By considering every time what is the expression going to be on God's face when this moment comes up. In the hologram of my life. And by loving one another. I suspect that if we all had every decision that we made, every word that we said, every Facebook post that we wrote, 
thought through these four points from 1 Peter 1, 13 to 21. You know what, even if we never, I don't know how it's possible never to do it, but if we never mention Jesus in our conversations, if we lived like this, wouldn't they come to us and say, what is the reason for this hope that you have? And wouldn't it be fantastic? Now through the power by which on the day of Jesus' return all those who are His will be revealed to the world as His when His grace shall be made known and manifest to us. When we shall be holy as He is holy made fully in the image of Christ. When we shall fall before the throne of God in reverence and awe. and be lost in the love that He has for us and our brothers and sisters. May these things, Lord, come on earth now as they are in heaven. May we trust You and obey. Amen.